KLYT. This is ABQ Connect. There's still time to join the conversation by calling 505-338-5790 or text 505-585-LIVE. What a good interview with Spence Llewellyn. I haven't seen Spence for a long time. Ran into him a couple times at Flying Star Cafe down in Corrales. We started talking, and I never knew anything about reverse mortgages. Our friend Brian Cochran is in studio. Brian, I didn't make it over to the Albuquerque Academy in time to see your your son playing (laughs) on the JV, but I heard that he's playing well. Yeah, yeah, we had a good couple games there at the Academy. It was an incredibly tough program these days. So I just read in the paper Academy played the top, four they're they're one of the five top teams they played the other four top teams in one week and beat all of them wow you know in 4a and let me tell you most of those schools can beat all the 5a schools yeah there's a lot of good good basketball a lot of good basketball a lot of good basketball what i've seen i do the books a lot and i get closer to the coaches and the benches a lot of high integrity kids out there too i haven't seen many kids that are having you know sportsmanship issues so they're doing something right yeah, that's because they got rid of me. <laughs> and, and I'm going to tell you, and, and and this isn't relative to what we're doing, but I spent 35 years coaching kids, and 30 of those years I was yelling at basketball officials. And the thing that makes me mad today about that, I've been coaching the last five or six years. I haven't yelled at anybody in a long time. But I, I, I'm embarrassed to have done that. I tried to get rid of that temper, I, and but for some reason, all of a sudden, God changed it, and and I don't know why it didn't change earlier. Again, I'm not blaming on anybody but myself, but here's the thing that makes me most upset about it. How many calls do you think I got changed? That would be zero. Yeah. So not only did I hurt people's feelings, but it was stupid. It wasn't helping our team. And that is so embarrassing and so humbling. And I hope that's always a thorn in my side from now on that God would not allow my arrogance to go to the level it was at one time. Because I love the game. I I love to coach. and, And I hope that it's not just about the game. It's about everything. Brian, I am always humbled to talk with you um, about financial matters. And you've talked to us about how we should manage God's assets, those that we're uh, entrusted with, by setting up budgets, giving generously, and having discipline about saving and investing. But what if you haven't done that and you're 50 years old, you don't have savings? And I, I don't know of a better way to do this than to maybe give you a scenario. So here's an example. Person is 59 years old with a job that pays 8000 a month. Pretty darn good job. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, this is a woman. Her home is worth 500k, and she owes 150k. She drives a car with a payment of 850 a month. The balance is sixty thousand dollars. She has a 401k of twenty five thousand dollars. She has no pension and no other savings. Where should she start? I mean, she's almost sixty years old. Yeah, and if you look at those numbers as you laid them out, this is a very common what I would consider middle class to upper middle class scenario. And what you just described sounds just like many of the people I meet who have been living in the world's way of looking at money versus God's way of looking at money. Let me explain what I mean by that. The American way of looking at money is I get paid, okay? Maybe I put a little bit in my 401k because I get it matched and it feels almost mandatory. But even a lot of people who are offered a matching contribution to their employer's retirement plan do not take the employer up on that. 
always amazed by how many how many will skip that opportunity. So anyway, so you'd get your paycheck. People will pay their taxes that come out automatically out of their paycheck through withholding. They will pay their debts. In this case, the woman you mentioned, she has a house worth 500000 only owes one fifty. So she's made diligent mortgage payments probably for many years. And then they spend what they want to spend, and then they save and give what's left over. Mm. Sounds pretty relatable, right? Yes. And uh, and someone in her situation can live a pretty good lifestyle off of that, right? She's probably able to go on vacations, able to go out to eat, probably can buy nice clothing, uh, keep up with the Joneses in all those ways. The problem is you end up with a scenario where you have someone who really has no liquid assets and has a lot of, of debt on you mentioned a car loan in her case that's you know $60,000 car loans. So that's probably an asset that's depreciating that has a lot of debt. God's way of money working with money is you give first fruits. So you get paid. The first thing you do is give before you spend. Okay. Then you pay your debts and you save. Okay. We pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. So you pay your debts and your taxes. Um, and then you live on the rest. Yes. And what that means is no matter what happens, you have provided security for your future by saving. You've honored God and gratitude and thanksgiving because you gave and you manage your debts wisely. And we want to do that at all times. So you do all those things and you spend the rest. And then what that does, is it forces you to live within your means because you're not going to spend more than you have at the end of the day. And when I work with couples that walk in my door that are already financially secure but are simply looking for a second opinion or uh, they're getting to a more challenging aspect of life, such as moving to retirement income, that's what they all do. Yes. They all give and save first, take care of their taxes, no problem, and then they live within their means. Whereas many of the couples in the age group of the woman you gave in the scenario in their 50s or early 60s who come in and are ill-prepared, I can see it right in the way their finances are structured. They've been doing the opposite. But uh, l- let's go a little farther with this scenario. So in, in let's say, five years or six years, this woman's going to be 65. Mm-hmm. If there's anything that happens that takes her out of working, if that job is not paying 8000 a month, or let's say that she wants to retire, now she's looking at Social Security income. Now, I know you can get Social Security income when you're like 62, mm-hmm. um, but you can only get like, um, I don't know, I don't know what the percentage is, but when I checked on it's me, a huge reduction. It is a huge. I mean, it was going to be like eighteen hundred dollars a month for me. Um, so I'm sixty six, and if I wait till sixty six and eight, my sister works for Social Security, so I have a built in person I could ask all these questions. By the way, you need to call the Social Security Administration and their eight hundred number because they have amazing people. Most of them actually are based in Albuquerque, believe it or not. They have one of their biggest centers here, so you may very likely get somebody that lives here. Anyway, long story short is I'm told that if I wait till I'm sixty six and eight months, then I am not limited in my income. I, I can go make as much money as I want and still get Social Security benefits. But if I take it before then, I'm limited to like $18,000 a year of additional income. So again, fortunate that I'm able to do that. Uh, but I'm worried about this woman because if she goes from $8,000 a month in income and being used to that, she has a car payment of eight fifty a month. Think about if that income is gone and she can't pay that and even pay her utilities 
in this nice home that she lives in, but she may be forced. Uh, what should she do? What should happen yeah. now for her? Well, let's. I want to make one comment about okay. Social Security. Social Security was never designed to maintain whatever lifestyle you think you want to live. Mm, I love that. I love you that. Know, Social Security in her situation will pay for her food. It'll pay her Medicare premium to help with her health care costs and maybe some of her transportation. That's it. It's not designed to keep you with the lifestyle at which you're accustomed. And that's especially true for high-income individuals because Social Security gets capped. So the most you'll get on Social Security is about $3,000 a month. Mm-hmm. So you might be making 500000 a year, and that's you – know, <laughs> That's not happening. That's not going to – it's not going to get there. So in a situation like hers, the key thing here, again, talking about sort of the formula of how her finances might be managed, there's some lifestyle choices happening here that there's kind of a rude awakening coming. And she can either start making different lifestyle choices now that better prepare her lifestyle for sustainable retirement and also allow her to save, or she can wait and have a very hard kind of a square corner, if you will, where all of a sudden her life will have to change. And uh, unfortunately, this her situation is probably more common than you would think, uh, where people at that level of income have a very low level of savings and a very poor retirement preparedness. Yes. Now, one thing I'll tell you, though, it's never too late. There's a lot of couples I've worked with over the years who have had children, and they pour everything into their kids, personally, financially, their time. You know how that can be. Mm-hmm. And they get them through college and all that, and they don't really start thinking about their retirement preparedness till they're 50, 55 years old. But they're still able to sort of pull it together and really buckle down on their savings for the last 10 to 15 years that they're working. And they, they're able to cross a retirement finish line and move on to other, you know, another chapter of their lives. But I often say there's a crossroads that happens somewhere in your uh, late 40s to mid 50s where you become an empty nest or, or, you know, and and what usually happens is that often intersects with the time of your highest earnings. So most Americans are making their highest wages between 50 and 60 years old. And you can choose one of two roads at that time. You can enhance your lifestyle in ways you always wish you could, Mm -hmm. go on bigger vacations, buy a bigger house, buy a faster car, or you can go the other route. And the other route is I'm going to maintain a modest lifestyle, avoid what we call lifestyle creep, mm-hmm. and really focus on building financial security that I haven't been able to obtain before. And I can tell you there's so many couples that walk in the door, and I can tell within 10 minutes of a conversation which road they're on, and many spouses disagree which road they should be on. Wow. And you can imagine the tension that comes with that. And that absolutely is something that couples especially need to talk to before they hit that wall. Yeah, and it's... Uh, sometimes one spouse can see them, you know, spiraling out of control and heading towards that wall, and uh, and they're trying to convince the other spouse to correct. But it's often an entitlement mentality of, hey, I've been working so hard, you know, we got the kids out now, we can finally do all these things. It's like, okay, yeah, but you can't have that and retire. You know, I do want to say something though, Brian. A lot of times, and you're not presenting it this way, but see, people perceive that if you don't enhance your lifestyle, that you're somehow not going to have any fun. And that is just not true. In fact, I know a bunch of people that are getting fast cars and they're doing this and they're doing that, and they don't work out enough. Mm-hmm. They don't hike this beautiful state of ours. They don't go play golf. They don't, they're not doing things that will physically keep them in great health. And you don't need a lot of money to go do that. Yeah. And we're, as believers, we're called not to seek our satisfaction and our purpose through the you know accumulation of possessions, yes, right. Um, it's the layer of treasure in heaven, 
not, you know, not here where, where you know, it'll get rusted and moss will eat it away. <laughs> Brian, let me ask you, and you've pointed this out early on in your presentation, is that, you know, giving is essential and first. And I don't know a person that has that habit in their life that God has not blessed back financially. And I know you don't give to get, but you know what? The truth is, is when you do, God always blesses you, doesn't he? Well, it seems that way. And, and one of the things he, he blesses you with is a sense of contentment. Givers tend to be more content. And the contentment is what allows you to save. If you're never content and you always want more of everything, you'll never find margin for giving and saving. But if you start with giving, it's amazing how that just breeds this beautiful sense of contentment. And I can tell you, I work with some amazingly generous people, widows, couples, young individuals, all different types that are generous. And none of the people I have that are generous givers, or I'd say extremely rarely does a generous giver sacrifice their savings so they can give. What they sacrifice is their lifestyle. They keep their lifestyle in check to give the margin for giving, and then they're also disciplined savers. And it's all about delayed gratification. It's all about contentment. And if, if those are your struggles, that you can't delay gratification, and if you are always discontent, it's always going to be tough for you to accumulate wealth. I want to ask you one other question. If you are like that as a parent, the person that you just described, you are content, you've been giving, do you see that translated to people's children? Usually, yes. Uh, they can deviate. I find some families do a better job than others about speaking about their values and and being transparent. We like to say more is caught than taught. But you know, how open are you about your finances with your children? Mm. Uh, I don't sit my kids down and preach to them about biblical finance. What I do is I just talk through things that are going on with our family financially, and I'm very comfortable with that because that's the world I live in. But um, my kids have a really good sense of what percentage of our income is going to charity and what we don't do every year in terms of things we could have or could experience because we're giving to charity. And I talk to them about how I'm saving. And so they're hearing this constantly through their childhood. Probably They're probably annoyed by it by now. But <laughs> that's just a sign you're doing a good job parenting in my mind. If your kids aren't annoyed, you're probably not doing it. Right. I love it. I love it. Brian Cochran uh, is a certified kingdom advisor, financial planner, and the president of John Moore Associates. The phone number at John Moore is 505-881-5100. And you can go to johnmore.com, amazing insights tab at johnmore.com. You can find out about things going on in the market. Uh, he and, and his former partner, John Moore, wrote a neat book called Succession, which is about how you pass a business on to somebody that you really care about, especially a, a, in a mentor situation like Brian was with John Moore. Just lots of valuable information at johnmoore.com. We'll be back with another segment with Brian. Stay with us on ABQ Connect. Talking finances today on ABQ Connect, so thanks for joining us in our first segment. And we'll have this posted at abqconnect.com. Uh, Spence Llewellyn with uh, Davis Mortgage. Llewellyn team was in studio talking about reverse mortgages. And now we have Brian Cochran. Brian, uh, of course, with John Moore Associates. He is a certified kingdom advisor, financial planner, and he's the president of John Moore Associates, 881-5100, of course, area code 505. Uh, Brian, you have not just yourself, but you have a number of different advisors. So there'll be multiple people that can ask questions if people call, right? Absolutely. And we're all trained with the same principles. We all use the same investment strategies and we're all certified kingdom advisors. So we all have been trained in the application of biblical wisdom 
in the advice we give. You know, I appreciate what you said about that first scenario we talked about where, you know, there's a worldly perspective on how we should handle money and then there's God's perspective. Here's another scenario for you. 65-year-old city of Albuquerque employee with income of about 6000 a month, not bad, currently renting a home for 1500 a month, so they're not a homeowner. No chance for a reverse mortgage down the road. Mm-hmm. Um they will have a retirement pension of $4,200 a month, currently have credit card debt of ten dollars uh, I just get the sense when I see this scenario that this person is living beyond their means because of that credit card debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the first questions we ask when we see credit card debt is, tell me about how you accrued this debt. Because you'd be amazed how often it's something outside of someone's control to a certain extent. I've seen things such as, Uh, My mother was in failing health for many years, so I built up the credit card flying out to visit her and give my sister some respite care so that she could step away while I helped out with mom. I mean, well, how do you judge that? I mean, uh, sometimes it's medical. You know, there's just a lot of reasons debt could be there, but oftentimes also it's, oh, yeah, my buddy had a bachelor party in (laughs) in Miami and it cost me three grand and I haven't paid that off yet. You know, it it can be um, just a, a lack of control. Um, so it's a good question always to start off with why is that debt there? And is this something that's a common uh, and recurring behavior that needs to change? So if it, someone like this person, 65 years old, has 10,000 of debt on that relatively, you know, middle-class income, that's something I'd ask first is what's the cause of that? And then what I'll often do is do the math. How much is that credit card debt costing you? So at current interest rates, that's probably costing that person, you know, two to $3,000 a year to service that debt. Mm-hmm. And once they hear that, they go, oh my gosh, really? But no one's actually running those numbers and seeing it on their statements. So it's just kind of, so they're basically paying probably, you know, $200 plus a month in, in just the interest. And that's not taking away from the principal at all, is it? Exactly. That's just covering that. So if you can frame it that way and try to get that under control, one of our principles we love to see is, is we'd like to see all of our retirees step into retirement debt-free if possible, but definitely we just don't want any consumer debt or uh, car debt. Uh, sometimes a mortgage carried into retirement is inevitable because home ownership is so expensive. But typically, if you cannot pay for your vehicle or your consumer habits, your credit cards, and things like that, that's a sign that you're not really financially mature enough to retire because there's no way to dig yourself out of those holes when you've lost your income. So again, I mentioned I was I was doing a lot of lending, primarily construction lending, and of course you go through the the process of uh, qualifying someone for a, a, a new mortgage, and you're calculating, you know, what are your car payments? And I can't tell you how many times people were buying very expensive homes, eight nine hundred thousand, but they literally had over two thousand dollars a month in car payments, mm-hmm. and I I would just get sick because they they you know man and a wife would go out and buy these very expensive cars uh, i'm not going to mention any but uh many german makes etc and the cars were not worth what they paid for them the second they came off the lot so now you're upside down in a vehicle that's costing you really a mortgage payment you know a thousand twelve hundred a month and Gosh, I, I wish I could talk people into not doing that. Well, that's a good example, Jim. Where I, tr- you know, all of us can be uh, fall into the trap of judgment. Yes, right, which is true of finances or parenting or anything else in life. You can judge other people, but I like to say in finances, it's all about trade offs. 
and that person who has $2,000 a month worth of combined car payments, okay, but what are the trade-offs of that? You're giving up probably a sense of financial security. You're probably not able to save at the level you want to save. So that means you're, if there's an emergency, you might lose your vehicle. Um, you're probably not saving for retirement. So you are sacrificing your financial independence down the line and the ability to enjoy your later years. You're going to keep working while your friends are retired. Um, you may not be able to give generously. So there's a lot of things that we can give up. And I think when you frame financial decisions, honestly, in terms of trade-offs, you help people understand that there's options here. Mm. You know, So like the example you gave here of the 65-year-old man with 10,000 of credit card debt. Okay, So he comes in and tells me, I want to retire in the next two years. Okay, great. Well, let's get that credit card cleaned up. What would you need to give up in the next two years to take care of $10,000 of credit card debt? And that's actually the decision you need to make before you charge it on the card, right? Yeah, sure. But we like to say that debt always presumes on the future. So you're making a commitment today that you're going to have to pay later and start to judge the trade-offs. What about this idea of $4,200 a month coming in in future pension money? Mm-hmm. $4,200 today isn't $4,200 three years from now. Right. Uh, some pensions have inflation adjustments. So PARA, the state of New okay. Mexico pension does. ERB, which is the Educated Retirement Board for New Mexico, has uh, inflation adjustment once you hit 65. Sandia Labs pension for those old guys from the labs does not have an inflation adjustment. Wow. So you can imagine it, with the inflation we've seen the last few years, how much that puts a dent in the spending power of a pensioner. Yeah. So that's one thing you have to plan for. So a case like this guy, what I love about someone like a city of Albuquerque employee that you gave the example of, um, it's almost forcing someone to do what we talked about in the first segment where you save first because what happens with a pensioner is they're actually taking money out of their paycheck to put towards the Paris system. Mm. For a teacher, it's 10 11%, I think, now comes right off the top. So it's taking that decision away from you and saying, I don't care what you do. We're taking this chunk out. And by the way, the state's going to generously contribute as well and create a resource for you for your retirement. Um, And there's other countries, like I went to Australia several years ago, and they do that, but the employer pays the other half, kind of like we pay Social Security taxes. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you force people to pull that money out, they somehow survive on the rest, Mm -hmm. and they become used to it. And then down the line, they're blessed with 4200 a month, in this case, of retirement income and a sense of financial security. Brian, when we were preparing for the show, I mentioned to you that Spencer Wellen would be joining us. And you did say to me that you have occasionally put people in reverse mortgages as an instrument to help them at this time. Yeah, we've always, we've suggested it as a tool for some families. Well, I like to say with reverse mortgages, I don't know anybody in their 20s and 30s and 40s that's looking to the future saying, I'm going to use a reverse mortgage. But sometimes we end up in places we did not intend financially. And the woman you gave in the first example is a really good example of someone who that just might be where she ended up, where she takes a look at the, you know, surveys her net worth and says, well, what can I spend in my retirement? Well, I have 25000 in my 401k and I have 500000 of home equity. You know, the decision's sort of made for her. And what a great option to have available for someone like that. The one I think of is I had a client who had several million dollars saved, lost most everything they had in a uh, a financial fraud out in California, Mm. but thankfully was one of those California people that bought a house for a hundred thousand that's now worth one and a half million. (laughs) And so we were able to tap into that pool and provide financial security through their retirement. So what, again, without them having to leave the home, I mean that when I asked, what are your priorities? I want to stay in my home as long as possible. First thing out of their mouths. 
yeah. you know, as a couple. So what a great tool. Well, Spence, in our first segment, uh, mentioned some of the, the things, the misconceptions about reverse mortgages. And I think you said at the same time, that is still a perception that might be in the market. So yeah. um, we're going to have Spence back on. Of course, you're going to be hearing Brian again this Friday. He'll be on again with a market update for 15 minutes. And I'm so appreciative of you being on today with us, Brian. Thanks again. Yeah, my pleasure.